0: Well, it's good to see you again, and we are going to do our Sunday school lesson for August the 2nd. Man, it's hard to believe that uh, 2020 uh, has kind of been this, I don't know how to explain it, but on one hand, it seems like it's just been a slow crawl and so extremely weird, and then on the other hand, uh, now that it's August, it's like, boy, where's the time gone? Summer is just about over, and I know everybody's trying to get everything sorted out and figured out about school and uh, what what to do this fall and sports and all of those kind of things. I mean, it, it's just so bizarre. And just know this, we're praying for you. Because we know that all of the things that go on, they affect your life. And um, no matter who you are and no matter what your situation is, we know that this this whole year is just kind of... Uh, kind of been a a mess in some ways. And so we pray that you'll stay healthy, and we pray that your needs will be met, and we pray that uh, one of these days we'll be able to get things back to a more normal track. And uh, we pray that God will bring that sooner rather than later. And uh, we'll just wait it out and trust that He's got a sovereign purpose in all of this. And then be thankful that we're not in a place like California. California. And uh, we're basically able to do whatever we feel like we need to do. And most of what we do uh, has been because we're concerned for your health and your well-being and for all of our members. And so we want to respect that. And we want to uh, help people to stay well. And To do well and that's why we provide these for you because we're still putting the same things out I'm still speaking three times a week and it's available to anybody who wants to hear it. In fact, it's available maybe even to more people than uh, Normally, it would be available to and uh, thank you for supporting us. Thank you for praying for us Thank you for your giving during this time and uh, thank you for tuning in and watching this and for sharing it and calling attention to it. I know that from time to time I hear about people that are not members of our church, but they're watching it in some other part of the country because someone has recommended it. And I really, really appreciate that. And we pray that God is glorified through that, of course. Now, um, during August, we are going to start a series in the book of Haggai. Uh, It's funny, I've heard older preachers, especially, they call it the book of Haggai. But if you look at the spelling of it, it's H-A-G-G, and it's not I-A, Haggai. It's H-A-G-G-A-I, Hag-I. And uh, just so you'll be correct there, those kind of pet peeves. It's like people that talk about the book of Revelations. Yeah, it kind of gets to you after a while. But Haggai. Haggai is a prophet. He's called a minor prophet. The minor prophets, we might tend to think that they are less important than the major prophets. And let me assure you, that's not the case at all. Um, Minor prophets are only called that simply because their books are shorter. Uh, They don't seem to have the the length or the weight in the uh, eyes of some people, maybe that an Isaiah does or a Jeremiah. But uh, we understand that any prophet of God... And anytime God speaks, it is always important. And God doesn't have to write multiple chapters in order to be weighty and well heard. Everything that he said. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture. And at the time Paul wrote that, uh, it was Old Testament. That was what they called the scripture. Which would include Haggai. Right? And it says it's given by inspiration of God. That means it is God breathed. And a God of truth can't breathe out any error. And another thing, he certainly doesn't breathe out anything that is irrelevant. Okay, It's all important as we properly understand it. And Paul goes on to say that it's profitable. And so we're going to look at this profitable little book called Haggai. We're going to start in verse 1. Let me give you a little bit of a setup here. This is uh, long after... What we're studying on Sunday morning in Exodus. Long after that. uh, By the time Haggai is written. The children of Israel have gone through all of those years in the wilderness. They've uh, crossed the Jordan River. The walls of Jericho have fallen. The book of Judges has already taken place. And uh, they've even had kings. You remember in the book of 1 Samuel. The people told Samuel. You're getting old and your kids are rotten. So we need a king. And uh, Samuel was really hurt by that. And God told him, Samuel, give them the king. Heed their voice. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me. And that's really what it was. They wanted a physical king instead of trusting God. And so the king comes along. Saul, remember him... And he turned out to be a, a, a big problem. And then David came and he was kind of the gold standard of kings. And David, and after that was Solomon. Then after that was Rehoboam and the kingdom split between a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Kind of like, uh, if you think about the American Civil War, what things would be like. Maybe if the South had won, there would be two countries instead of one. That's the way the nation of the Jews was. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And during this time uh, where the kingdom was divided, there were a lot of really, really bad kings, especially in the northern tribes in the nation of Israel. And there was a lot of idolatry and there was a lot of sexual sin and a lot of grotesque stuff. And God kept sending prophets to warn them. If you don't repent, I'm going to take you out of the land that I gave you, out of the promised land. You'll be deported. He said the same thing to the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom wasn't quite as bad as the northern, but they weren't as good as they should have been either. And the people in the southern kingdom of Judah kind of had the idea that, well, you know, we had the temple and God's not going to destroy us because we're the custodians of his house. And God showed them, didn't he? And so they go into exile and they're in Babylon for uh, approximately 70 years and then they are Allowed to come back. And they're allowed to come back in phases. Some before that time. And some came after that time. And a lot of them. If you ever read the book of Esther. A lot of them like Esther and Mordecai. Stayed in Babylon. But the remnant came back. Now when they came back to the land. They found it devastated. There had been, uh, well, the brightest and best had been taken captive over to Babylon, and the people that were left were people that were sick, people that were poor, people with limited resources and abilities, and so uh, after all of that time, things are still in ruins. The economy is in shambles, and uh, the remnant comes back, and boy... It really was not a land flowing with milk and honey. A lot of work had to be done in order to make it habitable. And the first thing they were supposed to do was to rebuild the temple. Well, they started on it and they got the foundation built and that's as far as it went. Haggai is written 16 16 years after the foundation of the temple was laid. And uh, it's basically God telling them, Hey, you need to get back on this and get the temple rebuilt so that my name is honored and my worship and the sacrifices are all performed the way they should be. And uh, I, I will be the priority of life in this rebuilding of the nation. So this message in Haggai is the encouragement and prodding them, get after it, and get busy and do what you're supposed to do. Hey, after all, don't we all need a little bit of that? None of us are doing everything we're supposed to do to the extent we're supposed to do it. We all have a tendency to kind of coast and to get a little bit lazy, get involved in some other things. So that's why this book is relevant. Let's begin reading in chapter 1 and verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, that's not the same one That Daniel served under. This is a different one. In the sixth month. On the first day of the month. The word of the Lord came by Haggai. The prophet. To Zerubbabel. The son of Shealtiel. Governor of Judah. And to Joshua. The son of Jehozadak. The high priest. So there's the audience. Two guys. The governor. The political leader. And the high priest, the religious leader. By that, you've covered everything, right? And here's what he says to them in kind of holding them accountable for things, saying, verse 2, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. In other words, it's just not a good time for that yet. We'll get to it, but not now. Verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Stop and think about that is what he's saying. And that's always a good thing for us to do, isn't it? Verse 6. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Okay, we'll stop there. That last part is very picturesque. Haven't you felt like that? You have too much month left at the end of the money, and you wonder what's going on. There are Certain things that you try to do, you work hard, you feel like you're diligent at it, but it just doesn't seem to bear any fruit. Nothing seems to come out of it. And uh, that's what's happening to them. You can imagine their frustration. We work hard, but it's never enough. We do a lot of things that we ought to be doing, but they never seem to be quite adequate. Just inadequacy seems to be the uh, message. And Haggai is saying from the Lord, stop and think about what you're doing? Well, the first thing we want to look at is to answer the question, well, what has happened? And again, you look at this and you notice in the very introduction, without going into all of the history and the political situation, it's one of the things that you notice first off is there's no king. There's no king in Judah. There's no king in Israel. There's no Jewish king. This is a Persian king. They're being ruled by a foreign gentile nation a long way away they're not really independent or anything like that at all this is a strange situation for the jews to find themselves in and uh, not only is there no king and they're under foreign control but as we think about the timeline as what uh, uh, as to what has happened here and let me explain this because there's always someone who doesn't quite understand it, and that's okay, because if you don't understand, you don't understand. Most of you do, but I want to make sure we're all together. If my hand here represents the birth of Christ, then everything on the left is B.C., before Christ. And what that means is the further out we are, the bigger the number is. If this is 1,000 B.C., then we move over here, this is 500 B.C., And then here's maybe 200 B.C., right up to the point of the time when Jesus is born. Now it gets bigger on the other side, A.D., Anno Domini. That means in the year of our Lord, everything gets bigger because we're getting further away from the birth of Christ. So whenever you read in the Old Testament or any kind of history, and the numbers are B.C., they're always going to get smaller the closer you get to Christ's birth in uh, Bethlehem. So here's the way this works. In 586 B.C., 586 years before Christ, then Solomon's magnificent temple is destroyed by the Babylonians. And during that time, about 50,000 Jews are taken into exile. And uh, then after that, there's another revolution. And it does affect Israel, but it's more centered on Babylon, the Medo-Persian uh, empire comes and they conquer the Babylonian empire so there's a governmental change and it kind of goes from Iraqis to Iranians by modern day standards that takes place in 539 in 538 there's a king named Cyrus who sends out a decree to allow a decree to allow exiles to go back to their homeland to rebuild temples to their gods and so that happens And in 536, the exiles that have returned, or the remnant we should say, that have returned to Israel, they lay the foundation of the temple and then they stop work on it. Isn't that strange? Stop. They've got other things that they need to do. They've got to build their houses. They've got to get their farmland up and running, that type of thing. In 530, Cyrus dies and in 5:30 to 522 his son uh, is reigning there. And then in 522 to 486 is the reign of Darius the First. And in 520 BC, Darius I confirms what Cyrus has says. and that takes place in the book of Ezra chapter 6. And in 5:20, uh, that's when Haggai's message, And uh, uh, the prophet Zechariah began their ministry. And in 516, the temple is finally completed and dedicated. You can read about that in Ezra 6, verses 15 and 16. So that's kind of the timeline. That's what all has happened. It covers a long period of time. And uh, there's a lot of things that are going on politically and economically and socially. All of those kind of things are happening. And so God has had enough. And now he speaks. He sends his message. Number two. Let's talk about what was wrong. And the Bible says in verse 2 that the Lord says... You know, he's confronting the people because they say the time hasn't come. It's just not a good time. Like a lot of people say now, one of these days we're going to get back in church. One of these days we're going to serve. One of these days we're going to give. One of these days we're going to witness. One of these days we're going to do it. But it's just not a good time now. Wait till the kids get grown. Wait till we get our career established. It's just never never time to really serve the Lord. And that's what is going on here. They're not rebuilding the temple. They left the foundation there. And uh, they didn't really see it as all that important. It's not a really good time now. We'll get to it later on. In fact, they were too busy building their own lives. There's time for everything but God and His agenda. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, it says When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinances of David, king of Israel, and they sang responsively praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy. They were the younger ones. They didn't know any better. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of weeping of the people, For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far off. You see, when you are talking about this, you're talking about an old generation who remembered Solomon's temple in all of its glory, one of the wonders of the ancient world. Now it's destroyed and there's a mountain of rubble. And so they lay the foundation of the temple, and the older people can look and say, This isn't going to be anything like what we had before. They didn't have the same resources, they didn't have the same amount of manpower. They're just a remnant. The country and its economy is in shambles. But for the younger people, they're excited. This is great. They've never known a temple. They've never known the joy of the sacrifices or anything like that. And so there's a weeping of the old people and they're shouting for joy for the younger people and you couldn't discern the difference between the two. Now that's a festive, wonderful occasion for most of them, especially the younger ones. But isn't it interesting that they just stop? And it only is going to take five years to rebuild the temple but they let it set dormant for 16 years while they take care of their own business. This is what has happened. This is what has gone wrong. And this is why the Lord uh, speaks and he moves in. In fact, how bad was it? In Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Remember we've read about him not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, flat, and he shall bring forth the capstone, the the very top, with shouts of grace, grace to it. What's this mountain? Well, some people think that it's The mountain Jesus spoke of when he said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can cast a mountain into the sea. No, it's not that. It's a mountain that's going to have a capstone put on it, right? It's a mountain that's going to be made flat, and then there's going to be a capstone. What's he talking about? This is, Zerubbabel is looking and surveying the mountain of rubble from Solomon's temple. How in the world is he ever going to get this new temple rebuilt? This is devastating. This is a huge job. It's bigger than what he can do. It's bigger than what he can conceive. And that gives you some insight into why the temple. Foundations were laid, and then it's 16 years later, and not much has been done. It was just too daunting. It was too overwhelming. Have you ever had anything in your life where you really wanted to do it? You wanted maybe to lose 100 pounds, but after the first week of your diet, you lost two, and you just gave up. This is going to take forever. There's too much. I can never get this done. There may be a project you've tried to work on and you say, I want to work on that. You start on it and then it's just like, it's overwhelming. Well, that's the way the Jews felt. And Zerubbabel, it's described here as, there's a great mountain that's only going to be removed by the power of the Spirit of God. And it's going to be made as a plane. And then as the building goes up, because the rubble is removed, then the capstone will eventually be put on it. That's going to take a long time, five years, to rebuild that temple. And it's a tough, tough task. So let's give them a break. They were pretty normal, and they were human. They're kind of like we are on those things. Now, let's take a look thirdly at this. What were the symptoms of it? And the Lord says, you need to stop and think about your life. Something is not right. No matter how hard you work, there's never enough. No matter how diligent you are, it's never quite adequate. In fact, your wages, when you take them and you put them into a bag, it's like they're put into a a bag with holes. You ever felt like that? Well, they were not lazy. That's obvious. And they had plenty of time to do all of this. And they were producing things. They're working. They're out there in their fields. They're out there tending to their crops and tending to their cattle. All of that is going on. But they have little to show for it. Little to show for it. And that's by the design of God, by the way. And the things that should have helped didn't really help. And uh, this is all very, very descriptive. And it's also very sad. Small harvest, hungry, thirsty, cold... And they're broke. Those are the symptoms. God knows how to get a hold of his people. Where it will really get their attention. And by the way. He knows that about you. And he knows that about me as well. And so he knows how to get your attention. Sometimes we say. I think God is trying to say something. Look when God says something. He doesn't try to say it. And you don't have to guess. He makes it very clear. He gets you where it it hurts. And number four. How do we rectify This situation. How do we rectify all of this? Well, healing starts with this. Consider your ways. Until you're willing to be honest with who you are and where you are, you're probably not going to get anything fixed, right? Right? Uh, those people who are drug or alcohol addicts know that the first thing you have to do is admit that you have a problem. Well, that's true in every area of life. You've got to admit that you have a problem. That's what it means to consider your ways. This is not working the way it's supposed to work. What's wrong? What's going on? And it may be that the Lord has something to say about the way you spend your time, about the way that you spend your money, about the way you deal with relationships. It may be something about your worship. In fact, it seems as though for these remnant of people who have returned, this remnant of people who have returned, that I, me, and mine have overtaken he, him, and his. Well, don't we have that same problem We forget that it's not really our land. It's not really our money. It's not really our life. It's not really our possessions. They all belong to the Lord. And so um, what is happening? Why are they being robbed of joy and peace and love and real living? Well, they had time and money for themselves. But God's house was, well, it wasn't even started really other than the foundations being laid they just didn't have time no time for that it's not a good time for that we'll get to that one of these days someday mañana we'll do it and so many of God's people are saying the same things today and uh, just take a look at your life over The years of your life and all the things you have planned to do and wanted to do and started to do and intend to do. And the Lord might say the same thing to us today. Consider your ways. You want something different out of your life, what steps are you taking to get there? You have some goals, you have some dreams, but a dream without a plan is nothing but a wish. And a lot of people are just wishing for things to change, but they're not taking the steps there. And the bottom line on this was not just that they weren't making a plan to do it. It all stemmed from the fact that they really didn't care about God. To neglect the temple was to neglect God. And they were living an I don't need you life. And God was showing them how wrong they really were. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, if you seek God and his kingdom above all things, then you can trust God in all things seek Him in all things, you can trust Him with all things. And that's the message that we find in these first few verses of the book of Haggai. The people's priorities were out of order. They had no room for God, no time for God, no time for the things of God, plenty of time for themselves, and yet it wasn't working. And God says, stop, pay attention, consider your ways. There are some things that are not going the way you want them to go. And here's the kicker. They could be if you made provision for God in your life. Reminds me in the book of James where uh, James says that there are people who say, Tomorrow we're going to go here and there and we're going to buy and we're going to sell. And he tells them that they're foolish. They ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do that. And these people were living as if God didn't exist. They weren't atheists, but they kind of lived like it. They didn't really need God. They had it all figured out. They were doing what they wanted to do and the way they needed to do it. And so God brought some things into their life to get their attention. And then he sends his messenger to say, stop and think about what you're doing. So we'll just end on that. It's a good thing for you, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how well things are going for you, or how badly things are going, it's always a good time to do what Haggai said, or what the Lord said, actually, through Haggai. Consider your ways. Are you honoring God? Is the Lord a priority in your life? Are you seeking first, as a priority, the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Well, we could all learn from that, and we could all do better at that. And the fact that we're all kind of falling short of that, none of us are perfect, is, well, that doesn't mean we ought to just stop and, and just forget about it and not try and leave the foundations of the temple in ruins all these years. Let's get busy. Let's build. And let's do what God wants us to do with our lives for His glory because we're seeking first his kingdom, and showing him and testifying to our families and to the world that God is indeed the priority of our life. So we just end on that. Consider your ways. It'll be fun going through this book, and I look forward to going through it with you. And uh, may the Lord bless you and speak to your heart, just like he did to those people all those years ago. Thank you. God bless you.